Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Well, welcome to the first edition of the Broadcast Dialogue podcast. This is the inaugural program, and we're taking some time with the founder and current editor emeritus of Broadcast Dialogue, the one, the only, Howard Christensen. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> How is retirement treating you? You know what? I uh, I am really doing an awful lot of things that I thought I wouldn't be doing. I, I, I thought it would be just like retire and lay back and, and soak up the sun or something. Uh-uh. doesn't work that way. I thought we, uh, a, a lot of uh, readers of Broadcast Dialogue over the years, um, probably have a good idea of who you are as a publisher. Um, but I know that, that a lot of uh, the readers will want to know a little bit more about you and, um, you know, how you started out, um, where you're from, and, and, and these types of things. I understand that uh, you're Toronto born and bred in the era of Toronto the good. What was, what was life like uh, growing up in Toronto? Very innocent. Absolutely innocent. I mean, I, I was eight or nine years old when I rode the Toronto subway unescorted. Today, of course, that would be a horror show. But back then, it was, yeah, okay, off you go. But uh, living on Fox Bar Road, right at Avenue Road in St. Clair, walking across to Young and St. Clair, for example, that was just a thrill. And and uh, even those, you know, back in those years when, when Chum first came along and south of St. Clair on Young Street, I remember pressing my nose to the glass at that radio station, going, wow, wow, I can't believe this is really cool, wow. Although, I don't think those were the exact words I had in my mind. Did that sort of ignite your, uh, you know, a lot of us uh, had radio dreams when we were young. Is, is, is that what did it for you? No. Uh, you know, I, I, frankly, I, I fell into radio. It, was, uh, it, it wasn't planned at all. I was looking for a job, and I found a job selling advertising time way back in 1969. And that's how it started. From there, from, the, from this promotion company that I began with, I moved on to Chum FM in Toronto. And then from Chum FM selling, I moved into broadcast journalism. And my first radio station as a, as a, as a news guy was uh, CHAM Hamilton. How did you leap from sales to, to news? Yeah, it's an interesting story. I, I, uh, when I worked at Chum and Chum FM, a lot of my friends, it turned out, were the jocks, but news guys. I, I, I just had a lot of a lot of really interesting friends in the news department. George uh, Ferguson, Fred Ennis, Brent Slidholm, uh, Ron, uh, Ron Knight. We had a, I had a lot of rapport with those guys. I really, uh, really enjoyed what they were doing, and they were, they were kind of mentor-like to me. And so I just packed in sales. Mind you, I wasn't that good at it anyway. Packed in sales, <laughs> went over to and, and got a job in news. They are a unique bunch, aren't they? The newsroom guys. They really are. They have a different outlook on, on things. Hilarious people. Very, very funny people. God, it was hilarious. They uh, have gallows humor, the, the, uh, the newsroom. People, Absolutely. You know. Much like the old MASH series, you know, all that stuff was going on in the operating room and MASH. Uh, uh-huh. uh, total, total black humor while people were doing the best they could to 
make things work. And uh, you, you, as I understand, uh, did did a fair amount of movement up and town to town, up and down the dial uh, during that phase of, of your career. Yeah, uh, from C- from CHAM, I went to CKJD Sarnia and spent a little time there in news, and then from there over to Chime CHYM in Kitchener. I spent about a year and a half with Chime. During my days at Chime, I worked a Monday to Friday work week and on weekends for a number of months I did overnights at Chum AM when Chum AM was still the rock and roll king in Toronto. And then from Chime and Chum, the combined duo, I went to CFRB in Toronto and spent about three years with them before moving to sister station CJAD in Montreal. Those were the days of the mom and pop owners, wasn't it? Uh, in the case of Cham and CKJD, it was owned by Keith Dancy at the time, or they were owned by Keith Dancy. Uh, Chime was owned by McLean Hunter, so that was a mom and pop. Chum uh, was, yeah, that was Alan Waters, Mr. Waters. And uh, CFRB was, uh, I think it was actually Argus Corporation, Conrad Black, if you can believe that, by Standard Broadcasting, was owned by, by Argus way back then. The mom and pops were, as, I mean, the ones I worked for were as engaged with the operation as we were. They were, they were excited about creativity. They were excited about all kinds of things that involved making the station sound better all the time. Uh, of course, they were involved in in, uh, in the sales productions. Uh, that's the, of course they were, but I seem they seem to be far more engaged in the product than they are now. I'm that's an impression. I'm, I'm not sure that's a fact, but it's, it's my impression. Tell me about the early days of BN. How did you end up there? The early days of BN for me was I started the broadcast news in 1977. So I was working on a rim, much like a newspaper rim, where you got sports guys and radio, uh, regional guys and national guys and uh, international guys working around a, a rim with uh, this brand new device called a computer, of all things. Very strange. It had a keyboard on it, a little TV screen. You wouldn't believe it when I was working on it's called the Hendrix. But anyway, we were doing, we, we did an awful lot of work that way, uh, sending up material for the wire service, be on a wire service. We also had a, a voice operation. Uh, that I eventually became involved with, uh, BN Voice, uh, sending out voice clips from spots uh, regionally and worldwide of news events that were going on. That was a lot of fun. But the big deal at Broadcast News occurred about two years later, 1978-79 period, when we introduced the BN report which was an hourly newscast, four, hours and, uh, four minutes and 20 seconds, every hour, 24 hours a day. And that was a big deal because there were a lot of stations right across the country were using the BN report uh, as, as supplemental to their own local newscasts, usually in the evenings and overnight. Some use it in the daytime. They use it uh, as, the, uh, as the opener before coming in with their local package or... They'd do the local package maybe four minutes before the hour and bring us in with the national news at the top of the hour, live. And that was a that was an exciting time for us. The next most exciting time for us at BN was the movement from three K three K landlines to uh, delivery via satellite, where we could get that wonderful fifteen K quality. And and I understand that you uh, did quite a few of those uh, broadcasts. Uh uh, personally, yes, absolutely. I was one of the original, uh, one of the original anchors. 
So you would uh, you would uh, be preparing your newscast, uh, watching the clock to hit the top of the top of the hour. Yeah, I mean every hour it was it was a, it was a mad dash to put the whole fresh news package together. The the news package I wrote for the on air portion of BN was was uh, used to provide the uh, news summaries for the wire. So we really we really really were rushing, uh, uh, doing a heck of a job. Uh, taking care of the tasking, as it were, for both the wire, for the audio room, for for the national uh, network. Uh, not unlike, I guess, the folks today who are, who are doing uh, so much work for social media, for radio, for television, for so, their own Twitter accounts. It's just an extraordinary amount of work um, in the broadcast news business. And I, uh, I recall a story or reading about a story where you would entertain stations leading up to the mark. Yeah, I did. Um, if you were around back then, or even if now, I'm not sure I've heard one of them lately from uh, from the, uh, the the setup area a minute before the newscast. But there's a double tone, 10 seconds. So 10 seconds, there was a double tone, a beep, beep. And I kind of punch up the network at about a minute to the hour and uh, just start talking. How you doing? What's going on? Hey, the Great Cup game's on next weekend. Toronto's playing, Winnipeg's playing. Okay, I'm taking Toronto. Anybody want to bet me? <laughs> Call me after the news desk. And just that kind of thing. And then I'd, I'd just natter on. Then I'd say, finally, the BN report starts 10 seconds after the double tone. Beep, beep. And 10 seconds later, I'd, here's the latest from Broadcast News. I'm Howard Christensen. And just carry on for four minutes and 20 seconds. I came out of the booth, but a minute later, the phone's ringing. They want to take me up. I'm betting Toronto. They're betting Winnipeg. That's I think awesome. I probably took six or seven bets from overnight guys, and uh, I lost. Uh-oh. So I sent out a pack of pile of checks to people, <laughs> and and uh, for one dollar, like one dollar checks, I just sent them out. And one guy didn't cash his, and didn't cash it, and didn't cash it. <laughs> I phoned him, I said, hey, <laughs> you haven't cashed my check. He says, are you kidding? I framed it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was so thrilled to have won that bet. Well, you know, I, it, the other thing, too, is that when you have the privilege uh, to be able to take a leadership position in the industry and provide a service out to the local broadcasters, that's a, that's a pretty uh, hallowed position to hold. And I think that people really uh, look up to that relationship and they 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 hold uh, those people that that provide that service in in high esteem i believe yeah you're you're right but i didn't really take myself too seriously so when i did start traveling for broadcast news and went to visit the various news stations managers and news directors and program directors alike you know i'd, I'd go to the switchboard for example or the reception area and the lady would say uh who's calling who are you here to see and and I tell them, and, and what is your name, please? I said, Howard Christensen. But you should have seen their faces. They, you're? I, yeah. And I, did, I didn't understand it until one of the guys in the back room said, you don't get it. Here in Kentville, Nova Scotia, this is huge. Yeah. That you're, that you're even coming through this door. It's huge that you're even addressing the, the guys on the satellite feed. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was, it was kind of like an overnight jock talking to overnight jocks, really. That's yeah. kind of what it boiled down to. Tell me about Ingrid. How did you meet Ingrid? Ingrid uh, was in Jamaica one year celebrating her graduation from university. Her parents paid the tab on that. She met some Canadian 
Canadians down there, and they got along just fine. Uh, one of the Canadians, of course, was, uh, not of course, but one of the Canadians was a German-Canadian, so she could speak German with, uh, with him, uh, which made it, made it even better, and uh, they, they hung out for uh, the two or three weeks they were vacationing. During that time, uh, they got along so well that uh, the Canadians, my friends Wolf and Liz Braun, invited her to come to Canada uh, for a visit that following summer. That was in 1983. And uh, after much hesitation, she did, not wondering why she wanted to go someplace. It was just mountains and bears and trees. Uh, So she was somewhat shocked to to, to discover places like Tim Hortons, for example. She (laughs) said, whoa, look at all that stuff. Give me all of it. (laughs) <laughs> she was really excited at that. Uh, yeah. But that's how, that's how it worked. And she had, there was a welcoming party for her, and uh, I was kind of invited to come to this party because I was on vacation, and I got some I got some uh, hosting duties with her to you know, take her around a bit, show her around. And there you go. One thing led to another. Wow. What was the process like getting her imported into the country? That was an amazing situation. I... Uh, I had a friend, Diana, who worked for Immigration Canada. And I said, guess what, I'm getting married. She said, really? And then we had to talk a little more. Yeah, but she's in Germany. I gotta get her in. She says, give me your name and number. Give me all the stuff. I said, I did. And Ingrid applied. Honest to God, from the day she applied to the day she became a landed Canadian, three weeks. Wow. Not three years, three weeks. She pulled. She she had to go to the Canadian consulate or the embassy in in Bonn to get the paperwork done. And the and the Canadian there said, "Do we have to roll out the red carpet for you? I've never seen anything move this fast." And I just felt super lucky. I mean, really fortunate to know my friend Diana, whose name whose last name I won't give you. <laughs> I understand that you referred to her as the geographic undesirable. Sure, and that year we were and we were that year we were dating. Yeah, she was my GU, my geographic undesirable, because it was way over in a place called Karlsruhe, Germany, and now of course it was downtown Toronto. Mm-hmm. So we got on the phone a lot. I understand that um, you were able to pull a few uh, fast ones on her during the process. There was one amazingly fast one. I, uh, my friend at the time, the late Tom Rivers, was working mornings at CFTR Toronto. And Tom had a feature called The Call of the Day. Well, I told Tom, Tom, I'm getting married, I'm going to marry her. And he said, give me your phone number. I said, why? Call of the Day. I said, okay. So uh, he found her in Germany. And rather than using his usual voice, he, he put on a little, kind of a quiet little voice, and he said, Hello, is this Miss is this, uh, Ingrid? And she said, yes, it is. Well, this is Claire McKenzie calling from Immigration Canada. And so it went. And uh, he says, we don't have any problems. I don't see any problems with bringing you over. Uh, it's just that we have one little item here that we have to take care of. He says, what's that? She says, well, Mr. We don't have his... We don't have Mr. Christensen's divorce papers from his third marriage. <laughs> oh, In- Ingrid freaked because I had never been married before. And she's going, what? what? Yeah. yeah, it's true. I, I have right here the documents. He's rattling the paper on the phone. And uh, she says, well, have you found him? And he says, yes, I have. And, I'm just, and, and Rick just really yanked her chain 
magnificently until finally he said, we'll see you at the wedding. It's Tom Rivers in Toronto. And of course, at that point, she called him a nasty name. And of course, the sheep, <laughs> the sheep sound effect went over her, what, the, the profanity that she had expressed to Tom on the air. Anyway, that was, that was a story. It was really terrific. But a week and a half later, I was in the barbershop downstairs from where I was working, uh, getting my hair cuts before I was heading over to Germany to get married. And uh, the barber said to me, he says, uh, you're really going to do it? I said, yeah, I'm really going to do it. You're flying off to Germany on Saturday. I said, yes, I am. He said, well, best of luck. And I said, thank you very much. Guy in a chair, three doors, three steps down, or three, three, three chairs down. Turns to me and says, say hi to Ingrid for me. Oh. <laughs> what? What? He says, yeah, I heard the call today. That's hilarious. That's fantastic. It really was fun. Great fun. That's great. And and the two of yeah. you really um, ended up forming not only uh, you know a, a magnificent long term relationship here, but um, but also a, a business partnership in, in to a large degree. Um, you know through broadcast dialogue. We did. We really did. Ingrid was working uh, when I when I when I, uh, when I launched broadcast dialogue back in uh, 1992. Ingrid was working for Volkswagen Canada as a training uh, training person. She did a lot of you know, visiting dealerships, training people on various new models of cars and that sort of thing. And uh, my friend Barry Hamelin, who worked with me at Broadcast News way back when, uh, he'd kind of come over and we'd hang up for a bit. And when we actually the conversation began one day, he said. We were looking at something, and we were looking at a, at a magazine, and we were looking at something related to broadcasting. He says, you know, Canada really needs a good broadcast publication. I said, yeah, it does. But the problem we had back then was, well, wait a second. Like, for example, an advertisement in, in one of the other publications, particularly that one glossy publication, you probably add, uh, now... But it would, at the earliest, it would be six weeks before it came out in the publication. Because it was a monthly publication, they had deadlines and that sort of thing. Right. We, we saw the need for far more urgency than that. And far more urgency just getting news out as well. So we came up with the idea of a faxed newsletter. And we called it Broadcast Dialogue. And uh, that's how it started. Just a couple of guys sitting in the basement goofing around. And then it became uh, a uh, a monthly uh, magazine as well, and a supply guide. We added we added we added the yeah the, we added the monthly magazine a couple of few years later, and that was really that was a lot of fun and a lot of work, but it really was a heck of a product. The other thing too was moving from fax to PDF delivery. We. Uh, we did that over the course of a year, letting people get the hang of it. People, we'd start off and, you want to try PDF? Yeah, okay. No, no, I don't want to try that new stuff. Yeah, okay. It's kind of it took us a year to do the whole transition to bring people over to PDF, but we finally did, and uh, that saved us an awful lot of money on phone bills because the phone of the time, the phone bills of the time were outrageous. Uh, the PDF was a marvelous, marvelous software device. Still is. Sure it is. Yeah. Um, then we did the magazine. Uh, it, it got to the point, though, with the magazine after a few years that we were we were struggling a bit with trying to maintain 
maintain it the way it is or was, and also carry on broadcast dialogue the way it was, the, the newsletter, the weekly. So we married them. We married the magazine to the weekly and, and continued on with the weekly broadcast dialogue, which also had elements of the magazine, a column or two, or a, some photographs from a broadcasting event, that sort of thing, but not nearly as as expansive as uh, the 48-page magazine. In talking with uh, many broadcasters over the last while, most people don't, do they, they, they have this memory that broadcast dialogue just sort of was always there. Was there a time between sending out that first fax and, um, uh, and the PDF where you needed time to hit that sort of um, uh, critical mass, or was it pretty quick? It was pretty quick, but you've, you've got to understand that at the time, it was very shortly after, after I had done a whole lot of traveling to radio and television stations across most of eastern Canada and got to know so many people that I could phone them and say, hey, I'm going to start this thing. It's going to cost you this, this amount of money and yen. Yeah, okay, we'll try it. And so I, I, at the beginning, I had no problem at all getting subscribers to buy into what I was doing. Uh, it was really great, the, 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 uh, the response I received. But I don't know that I could have received that response if I, if I wasn't so well known at the time. You, you, it was something you could easily leverage, not to mention the sales experience, too, I imagine, was, was huge, a huge plus. Well, it, it was certainly, and that that that, that certainly added a lot, added a lot to uh, getting the, those uh, advertisers from the uh, supply side, the uh, the software people, the hardware people. Now, you've told me that Ingrid uh, very much is the producer, um, and you are are the editor and the writer. Uh, I can personally say that when we looked underneath the proverbial hood of broadcast dialogue, we we just could not believe how well maintained that engine was, and. Uh, it is truly uh, the best managed subscriber group in Canada in this regard. And and I, I, from what I understand from you, that's that's Ingrid's efficiency at work there. It really is. And I, I hate to characterize it as German efficiency, but there's no other way to do it. She's absolutely a bulldog when it comes to chasing something down or to making sure her database is the supreme database anywhere, anytime. Uh, for example, if we hear that, that a... The fellow has left a certain station. We will chase him. We will kind of chase that a little bit. He's gone. Who's the replacement? So that will that will immediately impact uh, the the database. Um, we and where did the where did he go? And that will that will that will impact the database. And it just goes on and on like that. And and it's, she's had her just a beady eye on this from the get go. That that uh, that director directory of. of uh, uh, of stations and organizations serving broadcasting is just it's not perfect nothing is but it's the closest thing it's it's damn near perfection to be honest yeah Yeah. which i think is one of the reasons that um the industry collectively holds you and ingrid in such high regard um and as you were uh, winding down to your last issue uh, on june 30th I know for a fact that you were receiving a lot of um, accolades and a lot of communication that uh, previously, I'm sure you, you 
you uh, you weren't aware of the the impact you were having on people. I think that broadcast dialogue is as much about people as it is about news on the industry. Um, how, how was that experience hearing from your readers? You know, I'm almost in tears now uh, thinking about just how much of an impact that had on us, on both of us. It was absolutely delightful. It's just great. I mean, when we announced the atti- our retirement, the emails flooding in, oh, it was, it was, it was so gratifying to, to see what we initially had set up to do so many years ago, that, that we had achieved that. Uh, and the comments about our integrity and the respect for uh, people who were being let go, uh, being described as the glue that binds the industry. I mean, wow, just wow. It's a huge, huge legacy for, for those of us who will follow to live up to. But I'm, I'm so glad that we have that bar to, to try to achieve every week. I really am. Well, I'm going to have to beat you up now and then. No, I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to the, uh, the role that you've kindly agreed to play going forward uh, for a period of time, which is to be our editor emeritus and to be our uh, voice of, uh, of conscience, our, our voice of quality and, uh, and uh, a, uh, a motivator. Um, how are you feeling about that? I really I feel great about that. I, I really do. I, I, I worry a little bit about you know, being the old guy and stepping on people's toes when perhaps I, I, I should watch where I'm stepping. But I just, I think I, what I want to do is, is guide you without being a nuisance. Well, you're doing a great job uh, at that and, and hitting the mark perfectly. I, I know I speak uh, on behalf of everybody here when I say we, we really appreciate it uh, to no end. Thank you. Tell me about Howard and Ingrid's, uh, what do you do for fun? Well, we eat out a lot. We yeah. have a lot of fun doing that. Mm-hmm. Our neighbors and friends and get just so the socializing is huge around here. I have a, I have a, I have a, uh, airplane, a little airplane that we enjoy from uh, getting out in. Uh, it's a six seater and, uh, we've been over to Oshkosh, Wisconsin a few times for the big international air show and air week over there camping out under the under the wings and just having a grand time uh that's probably my been my pride and joy for the past 10 years when did you start so, flying i got a license when i was 21 wow. years old no i wasn't i was i'm sorry i was 24 i started when i was 21 got licensed at 24 yeah i know that uh boaters say that boating is a money pit is it the same with uh, airplanes yeah <laughs> yeah you know the gasoline the aviation fuel is so expensive but yet it's probably the cheapest thing going when it when it comes to owning and operating an airplane uh between the uh, insurance and the uh annual inspections that are required by the department of transport um, the absolute you know finicky finicky approach to owning and operating an airplane is is remarkable and remarkably expensive so I, I think, well, by an airplane. Well, I uh, really appreciate you uh, taking some time to, to share a little bit about you and uh, your experience with Broadcast Dialogue and um, your, your partnership with Ingrid over the years. And, and I know you're still going to be part of uh, Broadcast Dialogue for some time to come. And, and hopefully we'll have another opportunity down the line to, to sit and chat some more uh, about uh, all things broadcasting. Thanks very much, Sean. This has been great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. 
For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.